You have now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. Two, two, three, three, I'm on ten again, yeah. State your name. Hello and welcome to the first installment of a brand new podcast entitled No Strangers to the Game. I'm Ja and this is Troy and we're a father-son duo giving our opinions and perspectives on everyday issues from the perspectives of two different generations of black men in America. Uh, we're here today in Manhattan, Kansas, uh, near Kansas State University. I'm a recent graduate of Purdue, Purdue University. I was a track and field athlete there and now I'm a graduate transfer track and field athlete here at Kansas State University. Um, and so the whole family's out here. Uh, Troy? Yeah, I'm Troy Strange. I'm, I'm Josh's father. And uh, like you said, we're here in Manhattan, Kansas. And I'm looking forward to bigger and better things for you in the future. Um, give you some background about myself. I'm currently uh, the Director of Planning and Public Works for a governmental agency in the city of Indio, former city council member. Uh, have a master's in urban planning from UCLA and a bachelor's of arts and Pan-African studies from Cal State Northridge. I have three children, Jaws one. I have an older daughter named Atia and a younger daughter, Malia, and a beautiful wife named Tanya. So I look forward to having this discussion with my son. And I call you you All right, now that that's out of the way. Um, for episode one, we're going to be discussing the recent protests regarding police brutality, uh, racial inequality, um, some social justice, social justice issues across the board. Um, I wanted to start today with a quote from Malcolm X. Um, it goes, the white man will try to satisfy us with symbolic victories rather than economic equity and real justice. What's your take on that? Well, I think that's a great point. And when you think about the statues that are being knocked down, you think about the boulevards and the streets that are being renamed. I think that's nice. And it's something that shows that there's some interest in our issues, but I think it needs to go deeper than that. I think we need to really sit down and put together strategic plans that will change our situations um, in a real meaning and effectful, in a meaningful way. Um, such as tackling the issues that really, really uh, face our community education, housing, access to cap capital and wealth, the criminal justice system, and the healthcare system. So we have to really address those in a real specific manner so that we can change our situation. So from what you're seeing with these, you know, some of these, I guess, symbolic victories that Malcolm spoke of, um, with, like you said, the street names, some of these statues being torn down, I think it does show a good amount of interest, at least. But I guess you're wondering, we're wondering where's the real work? And so you're saying you haven't seen much of that, at least from your point of view? Well, I say this is a good start. The protests, I think, are good in the sense that they get the attention of the people, um, everyone's attention. And then it brings people to the table. And I think that's what's happening now. But once we come to the table, we got to have a plan. We have to have some action steps that are going to change the situation. 10, 15, 20 years from now, we don't want to have the same discussion. We've been having this discussion for many years and it's time to really do something that's going to effectively change it. Yeah, I think that's interesting because we always talk about, or we always see throughout history, 
these protests come up, they riot, they get angry, tempers flare, and for a few weeks, it, you know, it's, it's chaos, and everyone's in the streets fighting for something, and then a few weeks later, it seems like it's kind of just back to business as usual, and not much has changed. I guess my question would be, obviously, my generation is the one that seems to be in the streets right now, and we're working hand in hand with, you know, everyone, realistically, but what do you think are those specific action steps that my generation can do and obviously your generation can help with to really try to push some real change? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is really re-envision and reimagine ourselves. I think we have to look at ourselves and understand that we're valuable and that we are worthy of a quality life and the things that, you know, in other communities in which we they receive. So that's the first step. And I think from there, we also have to begin to take the energy of the youth and people like myself and others who have been around and have some experience and skills and understand how things work a little more in depth to be able to take you guys in and show you the process and the steps to make those changes. So like I said before, the five elements that I think we should be really focusing on, education, housing, access to capital and wealth, uh, the criminal justice system reform and uh, healthcare initiatives and uh, the healthcare system. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and with that, I know we talk about it a lot on our own discussions. Tell, tell the people what your ideas are on power and its relation to your geographical location. I think that's an interesting point. Well, first, to define power, power is the ability to carry out your will or do the things that you choose to do. It's also the ability to prevent someone from doing something to you that you uh, don't want them to do. And so understanding power, that means that you control your destiny. And from a geographic standpoint, power is really concentrated. And um, when I think about politics and how we vote, typically when we vote, we vote for people, congressmen, council people that are in areas in which we live. The only position that we vote for in this country that is not based on the geography is the president. And so we have to really understand that and begin to concentrate our power in a way that it's effective and our voices can be heard. But first and foremost, we have to gain economic power. Economic power allows us to develop the political power because typically those with the resources, the finances are able to put the politicians in the positions that will serve their interests. And so I think power is really something that we have to look at from a geographic standpoint, but also from a standpoint of our community and from a racial standpoint. I heard Claude Anderson once say that racism is a team, a group sport, a team sport. You either play together or you lose by default. And so we have to begin to accumulate our resources, our skills and our talent to be able to address the issues that face our community in a real meaningful way. Yeah, you always talk about how a lot of times the black community is one of the rare communities that's so scattered. We're so sparse in terms of, we used to live in groups, but now it just seems like we're all kind of all over the place. And with power being related to geographic location, it's gotta be tough to have that if you're not grouped up realistically. Well, I mean, grouping is one thing, but I think one of the things we have to look at is gentrification that's occurring in many communities across our country. And what that does is a lot, a lot of times it displaces those residents who can't afford to live there any longer. Gentrification is a process of improving 
um, the community around you, improving the housing, increasing the commercial areas in which the values of those properties increase. And if you don't own property there and you're renting either the property values or your rent goes up, and if your rent goes up to a point where you can afford to pay for it, then you end up being displaced and moved out of that particular area. So that's a real issue that's occurring at this point in time. And we have to figure out and find a way to address that. Otherwise, we will be displaced and splintered about amongst various communities in which our power becomes very, very limited. Yeah, I think it's funny because so often gentrification has such a negative connotation. Everybody looks and it's just like this big bad word is just kicking. I think a lot of times we can gentrify things for ourselves. You know what I mean? Some of the neighborhoods that we do live in and we do own that are kind of run down, you know, those with the resources, the, the knowledge to be able to come in and let's improve it for ourselves. Let's gentrify it for our people. Um, so I think that's a, that's an interesting point to me. Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to require all of us working together, um, various income from the most well-off and well-to-do to, you know, some that very had very little. And so with us all working together, I think we can create those environments that we had prior to desegregation is um, when we had that. And the challenge with it was that there was a shortage of housing. And so we were really, really cramped and it made it to really became difficult to expand and to really have those communities that we desired. And so with integration or so-called integration um, that gave us the illusion that things would be better. In some cases, things got better. And in other cases, what happened is that people who had the resources and the ability to move out of those communities, they moved out, leaving behind the individuals and the families who didn't have the resources, didn't have the skills or the education. So that left a big gap and a, a hole in the community in terms of stabilization and providing the resources, the skills that are needed to improve and to maintain and sustain a viable community. Yeah, I think when you talk about, you know, those with the talent and resources to leave the neighborhood often do, that's something you hear a lot in rap songs or in, you know, pop culture today is, you know, get enough money to get yourself out the hood, you know, get you and your family out of the hood. And you're talking about, you know, doing the opposite, get enough money to build your community up. But I think sometimes we kind of hear a lot of horror stories about that. In particular, one that's near and dear to my heart is Nipsey Hussle. You know what I mean? A rapper from, you know, what was he, South Central Los Angeles. Um, he gained a little wealth and, you know, fame due to his rap career. And he immediately started reinvesting in his neighborhood. Uh, he bought a shopping center on, you know, literally blocks away from where he was born and raised. And then I think we see the way that story ended. You know what I mean? It was going so well. It was doing, you know, doing all those things that you're exactly talking about. And it just seems to end badly because he was, you know, shot and killed in the exact shopping center he owned. I, I know you touched on it a little bit with the whole kind of reimagining idea, but how do we do that? Because it seems like we have so many stories that show us the opposite. Well, we have to first deal with the media. Our images are portrayed in the media in a very negative light. And so we have to tell a different story. We have to reimagine who we are. We have to tell a story that shows us in a positive light. For example, uh, take the Nat, um, Nat Turner uh, movie, uh, Birth of a Nation. It was uh, wonderful up to the end when he was killed. <laughs> but I think for me, I would re re rearrange the ending of that story. Although in, 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 in reality, he was killed. But to portray a different narrative, I would have changed it to where he was able to free and emancipate the people that he was fighting for. 
and change those stories so that we can see ourselves in a positive light. We can see ourselves winning and not at the end of a movie where you have all this great anticipation and then it ends with death. It ends with, you know, basically a loss. Yeah. Now, I think we often talk about the movie Django. I love that movie. I think it's hilarious. But we, I, something I didn't even really get to notice when I first watched it that you pointed out is the ending. Django's a hero. He wins. You know what I mean? He's a slave who rides off on a horse, you know, after killing a bunch of white folks. That's not an image we see a lot as, you know, a black man being the hero at the end of a movie. And I love that Tarantino did that and kind of rewrote that story. Another one is Black Panther. We have a little bit of a differing opinion on this movie. We both like the movie. I believe it's a beautiful image of uh, an amazing culture. You know what I mean? Showing, you know, Black sort of, or at, really African, but you know what I mean? People that look like us in a positive light. But tell me one of your small issues with the movie. Well, I mean, I think it's a reality, but I really, you know, looked at the, the battle between uh, Killmonger and uh, T'Challa. T'Challa. Yeah. You know, that was a little disturbing. I, I think I wished it could have been handled a little different and had that in, in the sequel where there is Chachala and Killmonger working together to solve these issues and address the concerns that, uh, you know, affect our community. I think the, the movie itself, or at least those two characters kind of differing point of views, it reminded me a bit of Martin and Malcolm in terms of the way they view things and they weren't they're working together really towards the same goal in the end but definitely different approaches do you think that's something they did on purpose or you even see that as a correlation at all i mean i don't i don't know i can't say whether or not they did it on purpose but when you look at malcolm and martin as they got older toward the end of their lives they came more to thinking in similar uh terms yeah. you know malcolm evaluated his views um, some of the views and things that he was taught as a nation. And even Mal Martin, on the other hand, began to look at integration and ask, he asked himself the question, did I lead my people into a burning house? And so he began to question the economics. He began to question everything that he was doing. And I think had those two um, uh, leaders lived long enough, I think they would have possibly merged and done some really incredible things. So. Um, I think at some point as we mature and we begin to reevaluate our thoughts, our ideology, we begin to move in spaces and places to where we probably wouldn't have moved um, as a younger people. So as you mature and you become wiser, you begin to see life in a different perspective and a more deeper level um, for the most part. Uh, I guess that's another thing you talk about Malcolm and Martin. <laughs> I think we've talked about this before a little bit. So Malcolm was a bit more radical and basically said, if I'm gonna go down and go down swinging. Malcolm was more of the, you know, Martin. or Martin, I'm sorry, yeah. Martin was more of the turn the other cheek. Um, and, you know, they had different approaches, but I think a lot of times I talk about, they end up kind of the same way, Martin and Malcolm, realistically. What, if you're, you know, a young black man in today's society, what what type of path do you think we should be taking? I mean, is it let's stand up and fight or let's... Well, there's multiple paths. I mean, you have to defend yourself when you are being attacked. So I think really when you look at the non-violent approach, I think it was a strategy. And at that time is to be able to show the world what the com Black community in America was facing and the type of tyranny and the type of, uh, you know, terrorism that they were facing here to be able to say, hey, we're not fighting, we don't have guns, and you're still attacking us. So 
So I think it was more of a strategy and I think it worked for that time. So as time moves on and as we uh, evolve, we have to apply different strategies. And so when you think about Malcolm and Martin, I think they were both radical. Yeah. You know, we both took radical approaches and stances to say we want changes. They just had slightly different ways of going about doing that. Yeah. And I think, well, I guess my question is then, because you talked about in that time, it served the purpose of showing, hey, this is how they're treating us. This is how it's going. But I mean, we see countless videos of unarmed black men being shot down in the streets. We saw George Floyd with his hands cuffed behind his back. You know what I mean? Have a man, a cop's knee on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. What do you, how do you explain that to somebody? You know what I mean? I mean, how do you explain it? It's just, it is what it is. We have to get to the point of where we actualize real power. Up to this point, for the most part, we've been asking for someone to give you power. As Frederick Douglass so eloquently put, power yields nothing without a struggle. That means nobody's going to hand you power and say, here you go and you take over and here's my resources, here's everything that I came in to um, have. So you're going to have to stand up and you have to make the necessary sacrifices to acquire the power. And it's not something that's going to be handed over. You know, and that's, when you think about that, that's an unsettling thought. But the reality is that it doesn't happen without some type of struggle. And that's the key word that you said that was sacrifice. I think that's what worries a lot of people is like, we see so many black leaders in the past, sacrifice, make the ultimate sacrifice. And it feels like you can sit there and I I understand the idea of reimagining and seeing ourselves in a different light completely, Mm -hmm. I do. It can almost feel like it's almost out of our hands to a speed to a to a degree because how am I supposed to be a leader when that's what I've seen in the past and what's happening? Well, there, here's the other flip side of that. You're just driving down the street, get stopped, pulled over by the police, doing nothing, and you get jacked up. <laughs> so I mean, you got to do something, right? Yeah, but I mean, and I I'm not saying go out and be become militant, but I think we have to, and and, and that may or may not be a way of looking at it, uh, but we have to do something different. Well, I think my thing is this. So it's, it feels like, what's my role and my responsibility? Because obviously becoming a leader would be putting myself out there in even a different well, life. Well, let me cut you off from there. When I say it, and that doesn't necessarily you have to become a leader. Whatever your role and your gift, whatever your purpose is, that's what you fulfill. And then that's your role. It may be out front, it may be behind the scenes. So a leader to me is not necessarily somebody out front. It's someone that's carrying out their role when it's time for them to step up. You may be the leader today, tomorrow I may step as a leader because here's an area in which I have more experience and skills to be able to carry the load. And there may be another area where, hey, now you're more fit to lead. So leadership to me is not one person standing up and guiding people. I think that's an old model. I think we're all leaders and I think that we all need to stand up and lead in the ways that we are uh, gifted and have a purpose in doing. Mm. Yeah, that's word right there, that's word. So let me ask you this. I mean, um, being a young man, how do you feel about people of my age and the, the generations before you? Do you feel that they fail? Do you feel that those generations have really been successful? Or what's your thought on generations um, that came before you? I mean, it's tough. I, I think any way you put it, this is, I would say, the best time to be Black in America. And it's still not obviously perfect or ideal. But I definitely think it's better than it was 40 years ago. And I don't know, I didn't live through those times, but that just, well, from what I read in history books and things like that, it seems like this may be a better time. Still not anywhere near perfect or, you know, phenomenal, 
definitely have a lot of progress to, to gain. But I think nonetheless, that shows that we've made progress and that those generations didn't fail, so to speak. It's just, it seems like it's taking time. But I think the annoying thing about taking time is it's like, like you said, power, no, or what was that quote? I'm sorry, I said that one Power you is nothing without a struggle. Yeah, and I get that that's a struggle, but it seems like at what point do the tides really start to turn? Because besides Barack Obama being, you know, the, you know, the first black president of America in 2008, I don't see, I don't know if I've seen much more progress in terms of blacks, um, you know, in power, so to speak, or in places of power. And maybe that's just because of the media. Maybe that's just not showing those images to, you know, young men who look like me enough. What do you think is it? Well, I, I think in a lot of ways, the community, our community as a whole has probably digressed. I think you have more individuals who have gained wealth and they stand out. You have the Jay-Z's, you have the Magic Johnson, you have the Michael Jordan's, you have the Oprah's. But as a whole, I think that we have either been at a standstill or digress. When you look at our family structure in the early 60s and 70s, you had over 70% of black families with a father and a mother household. Now you look at today, you probably have a third of that in which you have a father and a mother in a household. So there's things that have taken place that have caused our community in my mind to digress to a degree. Now, like I said, you see more celebrities, you see more individuals who gain wealth and access to it, but as a whole, we haven't all been able to share and benefit from that. So I think there's a lot more that needs to be done, and that may be that symbolic victories uh, that we talk about, because we live through those guys. We live through the LeBrons, we live through the Magic Johnsons and seeing them do the things that they do. But when it comes down to the community as a whole, you know, there's a lot of work still needs to be done. So you talked about it a little in the beginning. I want you to kind of reiterate it for me personally and for our listeners as well. Um, the five areas that we really need to focus on as a community. But besides that, give me those five. Then I also want you to give me one, maybe two direct action steps that you think my generation specifically should be taking to create some real change in today's world. Well, like I said, the five action steps. And the reason I choose these five action steps because I think there are common commonalities that we can all agree upon, whether we're Buddhist, Muslim, regardless of our religious background, uh, social and economic status. These are all things that we can agree upon and say, hey, these are valid and these are, you know, uh, necessary in our community. Housing, proper housing, education, improving our educational system, improving the criminal justice system, being able to have access to capital and wealth and our health care system and our health care in the community being improved our health and wealth. Um, as far as your generation, I think with the social media and the media in general, I think it's really working on changing narrative, showing a different positive light of people in our community, because that's where everyone gets their cue and their uh, thoughts on who we are and who we're not. We're all biased to some degree, and the media, I think, does a does the job of creating those biases. So when you see someone who's dressed a certain way, look a certain way, your mind typically goes to, this person is probably like that, or this person is probably fit, whatever that description is. And so the media, I think, helped us to shift that narrative, change how we look at each other, change how we look at things, and then we can begin to move. The next thing I believe is really um, finding your purpose. What is it that I was put here to do and really go in and make that happen. So those are two things I hope that was specific enough, but finding out why am I here? 
I believe that we all came here and we all here for a purpose and a reason. And we have to determine what that is and spend the rest of our life, um, you know, doing that. Uh, okay, I have a very specific question. I feel like this question, and I know sometimes you don't like to answer questions directly. I've known this my whole life, but I want a yes, no, and I guess I'll give you a somewhere in between. So for those five areas that you spoke on that we really need to basically create a stronger infrastructure within our communities, right? Mm -hmm. Do you believe they all need to be black owned for it to work effectively for us specifically? I believe yes, no, or somewhere. <laughs> See, you can't just ask me a question <laughs> like that, and you know, put me in a in a, in a box. You know, go ahead. I believe question. that they have to be a black agenda, meaning that these are the things that are going to serve and in, um, uh, improve the situation for black people. Does everything have to be owned by black folks? No, but we also want to make sure that we own enough to where we can control our own destiny. If we have other people owning issues, not issues, owning the commodities, owning the real estate, owning the things that we need to take care of ourselves, we're always at their mercy. Yeah. If they decide, you know what, I don't want to play guilt no more. I'm upset with you for something you said or somebody in your community did, and then begin to say, well, we're not going to uh, help you or assist you in this. We need to own and control our own environment. That doesn't mean we don't work with others. That means that we control our destiny. And then when we come to the table, we come to the table as equals, not as beggars. So when you come to the table asking for something, people want to deal with you differently. So when you come to the table and you have yours and say, I'm not coming asking for anything, we're coming and we're negotiating on equal terms. That's a different conversation. As a parent and a child, when you come to me and say, dad, I need some shoes and you don't have any money, I'm looking at you from a different standpoint. When you come to dad, I'm going to buy some shoes. I got the money to go buy it. Then we have a different conversation, right? Because yeah. you can go get and do what you want to do in that regard, where you're not relying on me to provide you with the funds to do it. So we have to have those, we have to own and control our community and our <laughs> environment. So I hope that answers your question. So long story short, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I felt it was really important to describe that and explain that yeah. so that, you know, we understand why. Because oftentimes, you know, we, we become allies and we get allies and we have to not only get allies, but we have to explain to them what we need them to do to help us is they're going to be our allies. We have to have a specific agenda in which we can carry out. And those that want to help and want to be allies, they know that our, that's our agenda. Yeah. Too often in the past, our agenda has been co-opted by others who may have come in with great intentions, but because we haven't been as organized recent times as we have been, say, during the civil rights movement, our agenda has been co-opted and we end up doing all kinds of things that don't necessarily serve our best interests. Yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of circles back to what I think you said initially. I think the way to fight racial inequality, police brutality, brutality and social injustice as a whole is to really have some political and economic power. And that comes from owning things and being independent and having commodities that, you know, you can push and like you said, that political and economic power to where when you come to the table, there's one, you have something to bargain with. And two, if there's harm being done to you, there's something that you can do to make sure that that stops. And that seems to be the, the big key to all of this. Right, I mean, and that's, any community wants that. Yeah. Any Anybody in their right mind wants to be able to control their own destiny. 
And that doesn't mean you hate anyone or you dislike anyone. It means that, hey, I'm in control of my own destiny and I don't have to rely on you to do anything for me because I can do it for myself. We can work together. And I think that's more productive and more effective if we work together. But if you choose not to work with me, I'm not relying upon you for me to live and survive. Yeah. Well, man. I feel like we covered a lot <laughs> in the first episode of No Strangers to the Game, and uh, I believe that's a wrap. So, thank you for tuning in, um, and make sure you stay tuned for the next episode. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace.